0: Again, Ruth and I have been in Fort Collins long enough that when we come now, so many of you have been so kind to say welcome to Timberline. This morning I get to say welcome to Timberline. Now it's role reversal here for a moment, but for all of you who are in this service who last week came to the 830 service, thank you for doing that. We asked for some adjustments to be made and it worked out and as far as I know, nobody ran into anybody in the parking lot and all of those sorts of things, so we're grateful. Last week, that spectacular gift to convoy into this local community of $157,000 was matched by 11,000 plus people being here over the weekend. And just uh, that many people being within the sound of the message of Jesus is an exciting thing. Wouldn't you agree? That's powerful. Yeah, you can clap for that. So, where do we go from Easter? That's the, um, that's the deal this morning. I mean, once you have the Super Bowl, last week, this is, did we go to arena football or where are we going from Easter? The last couple of weeks have been wild for the family of Captain Richard Phillips, captain of the Maersk, Alabama. How many know that name? Before a couple of weeks ago, who would have known the Maersk, Alabama? Now, when I was a little kid in 1949, I came home from India on a. 8000 ton Danish freighter called the Johannes Mærsk same line little tub compared to the one that was uh, boarded by pirates off of the coast of Somalia and captain Phillips taken captive held hostage held for ransom for 5 days until he was freed by the United States Navy personnel on Easter Sunday but his family was at home in Vermont they were scared they were hoping they were scared they were praying they were scared they were hoping and then all of a sudden here he is he shows up how how is that 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 occurs like that when we have we have dramatic once in a lifetime episodes that where we're sure we're not sure we think we're praying we'd like well the disciples Jesus disciples knew those feelings big time big time listen to how it reads In John, the 20th chapter, the 19th verses. It'll be on your screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. But this is how it reads. And this is on the evening of Easter Sunday morning. So he's raised from the dead, Easter morning. This is like 8 to 10 hours later. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. This is a fascinating passage. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then this really interesting line. If you forgive anyone his sins they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them they are not forgiven. On the evening of the day Jesus rose from the dead his disciples were afraid and in shock. His disciples were afraid and in shock. Their last 8 days had been a roller coaster ride. Just just imagine If you were one of the disciples and you and you're saying it in your words, you know, we started out great on Palm Sunday. We got the donkey for him. We were going into town. We were coming up the hill by the Kidron Valley and we're coming around the corner. You could hear the roar of the crowd. And as we come around, all of a sudden there are people with palm branches and people putting down their coats on the ground. I mean, it was an awesome day. It was a great day. And then we went back in the evening and we stayed in the little town of Bethany. And then on Monday we went back in again. At the end of the day we'd go back. He went back and forth all during that week. We were with him. There was that one time when he came into town and he just, he started crying. We we didn't quite get that part where he was crying over the town. And then we came into town and he was teaching in the temple courts and course he chased all the money changers out it was it was tough made the little whip and knocked over tail I mean we'd never seen him like that that was a different side and then and then they started challenging him about by whose authority do you speak and they asked him questions about money and then we had the Passover meal it was a pretty powerful it was a a little strange time, and, and then right in the middle of the meal, Jesus said that thing about somebody betraying him, and Judas left. And later on, we found that he had he'd sold him. He had sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, parentheses, for back to 2000. That's what we call today human trafficking. They sold Jesus, and then they... Then we sang a song with Jesus and we went out to the garden of Gethsemane and we had that Passover meal and we were full and he wanted us to stay and pray with him just now, but it's so hard to stay awake when you're full. And so we kept falling asleep and, and then the guards came and they took him away and we followed at a distance and then we saw what they were doing and, and, they, and we felt threatened and we were scared and, and then they beat him. And they flogged him with a cat of nine tails and just shredded his back and they spit on him and told him to do miracles. And then we watched as they took him up the hill and they nailed him to the cross and we got scared. And all of us except John and a few women who stayed there, all the rest of us ran. And we're running to get away and the sky turns dark and the earth starts to shake and there's an earthquake and it's like the whole world, the earth. The whole of creation is reacting to this thing that's going on. And all of that, that last part from the Passover on, that just happened like in 72 hours. Their emotions as they're shut in this room with the doors locked because they're scared, they're discouraged, they're stunned, they got to be angry with themselves, they're ashamed. They're just lost. They're disoriented. The center of their universe is gone. You know how it is when we get scared. We just head for places we know and people we want to be with. That's just how it is when you get scared. I don't like being. Anybody here just love being scared? You say, well, the roller coaster scare. I kind of like. No, I mean scared. Nobody likes being scared. It does something to your heart. Your adrenaline's pumping. You just you don't feel safe anywhere. I love that story about the little kid and his parents who are in their house, and it's a thunder and lightning storm. And the first crash of thunder, the little boy says, "Mom," that's what the little boy say. "Mom," she says, "What is it, Johnny?" "I'm scared." He said, "It's okay. It's just a lightning storm. Not a problem." Pretty soon, bam! Another crash of thunder, lightning. And he, "Mom, what's going? On? I'm. It's scary in here. It's okay, honey." He's hunkered down under the covers, head under the pillow, you know, bam, another. He says, Mom, and she uses the ultimate encouragement. It's okay, honey, Jesus is in there with you. It's quiet for a moment, and he says, Mom, why did I come in there with Dad and you come in here with Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's something about physical presence, isn't there? And suddenly, the man is in the house. suddenly, here they are huddled together, kind of licking their wounds, and he shows up. How did he get in there? Well, I, it just says he he, he came that 's the verb he came and in the other gospel, it said he just he was there in the other gospel it said they thought he was a ghost it scared him so i mean they 're already scared, and then woo, they scared him again. He, And it's like beam me up, Scotty, or something. You know, he just, he's the. Now, physicists in this room know that you could, if I could arrange the atoms and the molecules in my body, I could walk through that wall. If I could get them just aligned right, I could go through the wall. Now, we're not built that way. But whatever it was in his glorified body allowed him to show up. And, um, he says a thing that's good. He says, peace to you. Have a little peace here, boys. Now, uh, that was the standard greeting in the Middle East, still is today. Shalom, salaam aleichem. That That's a standard phrase all over the Middle East. And it says, and he shows him his hands and his side. I guess ghosts don't have scars. These aren't just piercings. These are not cosmetic things. These are, these are piercings that kill you. These are scars at the base of the wrist on the hand that hold you, pinioned like some insect to a Roman gibbet. This is a Roman spear lancing up under your ribcage, plunging into your heart. And then he says it again, peace to you. They were overjoyed to see the Lord. The fact is they found peace in his presence. We find peace in his presence. When someone we know shows up, when someone we know that we think has power or actually does have power shows up, I think it was October 17th, 1989, 5.04 p.m. I remember the time, fourth game of the World Series. I was driving in the Santa Cruz Mountains near Santa Cruz, California, and the whole world went crazy. Five miles south of the little campus where I was president, Bethany College, was the epicenter of what they came to call the Loma Prieta earthquake. Some of you remember that. It was a 7.1 on a Richter scale, 11 miles down. Two tectonic plates shifted three feet and generated more energy in 15 seconds than all of the armaments of World War II, including the atom bombs, put together. And when that happens, the surface of the earth shudders and dirt starts billowing up like that. And I mean, it it was a wild time. And I was on the far side of the hills and I was about 10 miles away from the campus. And I got back across the hills before the highway patrol closed the highway. There were landslides everywhere and fires burning in the hills and homes, and I pulled onto the campus grounds, and I drove in, and fortunately not any buildings had come down on the campus, but all the students were out in the open areas milling around because you have this sense, even though it might be safer to stay in a doorway, people tend to run for the outside in an earthquake, and so they're out there milling around, and I pulled up in front of the chapel, and a young co-ed came running up to me, probably a sophomore. She came running up to me and said, Oh, President Both." I'm so glad you're here. It it's everything's gonna be okay now. <laughs> and I'm going you know, I know I have raw power, but this is ridiculous. This I mean this but there is just this sense maybe it's you're here now, now we we'll we'll all just be able to die together. I don't know what it was about, but the, it's it's this sense that when you're frightened and you're And you can be in the presence of someone that has power or you think has power. It helps you. Well, Jesus shows up in the room and he's on his journey. Some of you have heard me say this before years ago, some years ago when we went to Capitol Hill. I tried to frame Jesus' mission in non-religious language and focused on the idea of place. And here's the gospel in a nutshell. You've heard me say this before. It goes like this. Here's the deal folks. I'll leave my place I'll come to your place I'll take your place then we'll go to my place that's the good news in a nutshell I'll leave my place I'll come to your place I'll take your place then we'll go to my place well he's done the leaving his place he's come to my place he's taken my place over the weekend on the cross and busted out of the tomb And now he's making the turn and he's heading toward home and he's got to make the handoff to his disciple. His mission is accomplished. You heard him say it on the cross. It's finished. His mission's accomplished and he's making the turn toward home, like coming around third racing toward home plate. And he's got to make a handoff to these 10 disciples. Thomas is not in the room and Judas has hanged himself. So there are 10 guys in the room and, um, as he makes that turn, he says this phrase. One phrase, as the Father has sent me, changes everything. He's not just going to give them a pep talk. This is not win one for the gipper in the, in the locker room, like Newt Rodney at Notre Dame. This is, this is the creator of, of all the universe making the handoff to ten scared guys, all from the same county in Galilee. And he turns to him and he says, here's the deal. As the father sent me here, that's the way I'm going to send you. And I'm saying, well, what way is that? How did the father send you? And in the next two phrases, in the next two uh, sentences, I think he captures what he meant by that. What he says and does next captures it all and it starts this way he breathes on them now that's i got to tell you that seems unusual to me maybe it was common there in palestine in those days i don't think so he breathes on them Whenever I think of that, I think of being with little kids back in the days of station wagons, the pre-van days. Some of you are young. All you know is vans. But how many here know station wagons? You know, see, those were the days when you didn't have seat belts and you didn't have those humongous car seats. And you could just reach back and smack people back there. You just you don't have to confess who you are. Some are the smackers and some of the smackies here. I know that, you know. But it was an art form, you know, you'd scoot to see if you could miss the hand, you know, and you'd be doing this and all that kind of stuff. Ruth and I, Ruth and I were going to design a car some years ago that would be fuel efficient and sleek. It would have self-cleaning windows on the inside and it would have room for eight in the front seat. (laughs) Hey, little kids always want to be in the front seat. What's that about? And we'd have a loop tape that would just play all the time. Sit back and stay on your side of the line. We will be there when we get there. If you do that again, we're stopping the car. We thought it would sell. It might even even sell today. I don't know. But, But I love Bill Cosby's line where he said, he's breathing on me. Here's the creator of the universe that Scripture says breathes on these people. And I'm thinking to myself... You know, Jesus has some interesting methodologies. You can read it in the Gospels. You know, he, he speaks to somebody and they're healed. He touches them and they're healed. In one place, it's mud in your eye. He gives a mud ball in a guy's eye. In another place, he spits right in a guy's eye. Really, you can read it. And here, he breathes on them. And I'm thinking, how does he do that? And this is just because I'm curious. You know, maybe it's one at a time. You know Maybe it's just one big breath for all ten. of them. I don't know how all that works. But what's with that? The Hebrew word for breath in the Old Testament, in the Torah, is ruach. R-U-A in a kind of a hard H, ruach. It sounds like wind, ruach. Sounds like breath. Literally, in that stifling, fear-filled room, Jesus was a breath of fresh air. But then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now he's told him about the Holy Spirit earlier. You can read it in John where he says, now I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate. There are two words for another in the New Testament. One, One means another of a different kind, and the other one means another of the same kind. And he says, I'm going to send you Another counselor, another advocate, another comforter of the same kind, just like me. We're one and the same. Biblical scholars kind of debate this because it's a little awkward sentence construction here. But they debate now how, how does this fit how does this fit with the day of Pentecost a few weeks later when the Holy Spirit is outpoured on a lot of people? And there's no positive conclusion to that. At the very least, this is kind of down payment. At the very least, it would be that. But I would like to submit that this phraseology is very similar to Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, the first book in the Bible, is where he's creating Adam. And he creates him out of the dust of the earth. And it says that he breathes into him the breath of lives, literally. The breath of lives. That was creation. This is after Calvary. This is after the, the empty tomb. This is... I would submit recreation. This is, that's your regular life. This is new life. And he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. Take this new life. Whatever it is, whatever happened there, we know this. Nothing eternal can happen without his spirit. Without the spirit of God touching it. Nothing's going to be eternal. This body's going to fall off. They're going to say both is dust to dust, ashes to ashes. He's gone, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Nothing eternal sustains without the Spirit of God. The Spirit that He breathes into these disciples is the same Spirit that was on Moses. It's the same Spirit that was on Elijah on Mount Carmel. The same Spirit that was on Elisha. The same Spirit on Daniel and Isaiah and the shepherd boy David and John the Baptist. Same Spirit. The spirit that is in you today because you have received Jesus into your life is the same spirit that Moses had when they crossed the Red Sea. Do you ever think about that? The same spirit when Elijah took out those prophets and outran the chariots on that day in Jezreel. Some years ago, I had a friend who was elected to the United States Senate. And he asked his father, his family to come the day before. And early the morning of his swearing in in the Senate, we got together, nine or ten people, and we were going to pray over this new senator, kind of bless him, if you will. He wanted his father to do that. And uh, before we did that, he said, does anybody here want to say anything? And a couple of folks said a little something. And then his father said, I'd like to say something. And he picked up the Bible like this, and he said, you know, son, the spirit of this... town ta- First of all, he said, this book is spirit. It starts with the spirit of God. It ends with the spirit of God. The whole story here is about the spirit of God touching people's lives and changing them, making them whole, restoring them, making them a new people. He said, the spirit of this town in some quarters is the spirit of arrogance, speaking of Washington, D.C. But the spirit of this book... Spirit of this God is the spirit of humility. I pray on you for your tenure as a United States Senator Senator, the spirit of humility and my prayer is that sometime in your senatorial career, somebody would walk up to you, pull your coattail, and say, "Excuse me, Senator, but your spirit is showing. Spirit is everything we talk about boy, that guy's got a great spirit, or doesn't she have a great heart, and we're, we're getting at the essence of the person, we're getting at the at the core of who they are, I would like to submit that, you know, like your brain, and some of you here are brain people, you know all about brains, I just dabble in brains, I love reading about how the brain works, but there are neurotransmitters in my brain right now that are firing off signals, Like like a gazillion things are going on in my brain, so I can move my hands and Try not to slouch and stand up and try to speak in a comprehensible fashion. And your brain is saying, Stay awake, try to listen to the dude, you know, try to, and you're, you know, you're trying to focus and take a note every now and again, and all these things. And you have the the transmitters and you have the receptors. I would submit to you that we have spirit receptors in us. That we are creatures designed in the image of God. And when we open our lives to him, he fires up those receptors so that we, in fact, connect with him in a very powerful way. And Jesus breathes on them and says, let me give you the connection. Let me give you the power, the holiness to be me on the planet because I'm going back to my father. So. I sort of get that part, but what he says next is a bigger challenge for me. If you forgive people their sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, they will not be forgiven. Literally, it says, if you, if you release people's sins, they'll be released. If you hang on to them, if you grab them and hold, they'll be held. Now, I'm thinking, what does that mean? I'm a person who's kind of curious, and I ask the "why" question a lot. Why? I'm I'm still two years old at that level. You know how two-year-olds you say stuff to them and say why. You say well so and so, and they say why. Then you say well, and they say how come. And finally, you gave the you you just give them the parental answer, which is because because I said it. You know that's the ultimate authority. That's the way it is. And I'm asking the question here, why, how come, what does that mean? I'm thinking, I I kick into my Pharisee mode. You know, the Pharisees, these these were lay people, these were religious leaders, and it wasn't just them. The Sadducees who were the priests were the same way. They were one day with Jesus in this house. You can read this in Mark, the second chapter, verses 5 through 7. And Jesus is talking to some folks, and all of a sudden, the ceiling starts coming in. Remember that story? This guy has four friends. He's paralyzed. And they bring him up to the roof because they can't get near the house. And they start tearing the roof. They have flat roofs over there in Palestine. Sometimes they put gardens up there, and they're tearing off the dirt and the tiles. And and you can see him down inside the room, and the dirt starts falling down. And you know how sunlight comes down through dust, and people are going... (coughs) They open it up, and here comes this guy, let down on four ropes, and he's on a pallet and he can't move. Now, clearly, they want him to heal this man. They want Jesus to heal him so he can walk. And Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins be forgiven you. And the Pharisees, the religious types, are over here, and they're thinking, whoa, 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 that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And it says Jesus knows their thoughts. It'd be fun if he just turned to him and said, boys, you're starting to get it, you know. But, uh, but, the, but the point is, he, he starts with their sins. And I'm like those guys. I'm saying, what do you mean I can forgive sins? If you, the disciples, forgive sins, they'll be forgiven. Because I'm saying only God can forgive sins. But here is God, Jesus, who is the Christ, saying, you do it. Well, if we know that nothing eternal happens without the spirit, we also know this. Nothing on earth can move forward profitably without forgiveness. Nothing. No relationships, no teamwork, no team building. Nothing of that can go forward profitably without forgiveness. Listen to how Jesus speaks on the cross. He's talking to the father and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later on, he says, into my into your hands, I commend my spirit. He says for all to hear it's finished. At one point, he says to, to John, the disciple, here's your mother. Speaking of Jesus, mother, you take care of her, he takes care of his mom in the last moments of his life. But there are two other places. At one point, he says, I thirst. But there's the place where that thief on the cross says remember me when you come into your kingdom and he says this day you'll be you are forgiven come on home and then when they're nailing him up he talks to the father and says forgive these folks father forgive them because they don't understand they don't get it they don't know what they're doing this business about forgiveness is the essence the presence of the holy spirit And the act of forgiveness clears the deck for all relationships, either heaven-connected or earthly-connected. No quality relationship can work without forgiveness. I have a friend, and some of you have heard me say this. I have a friend who says marriage is an ongoing series of forgivenesses. If you can't forgive, you can't be in relationship. Because we're human beings and we do dumb stuff. Sometimes it's little small stuff, sometimes it's big stuff. But if we can't get there, if we won't get there, can't have relationship. But the problem with forgiveness for me is that it's counterintuitive. It's not where I normally go. If Somebody hits me. I don't know about you, but I want to smack him. You, know, you know, kind of tit for tat thing. It's not natural to forgive. But let me ask a feeling question. What does it feel like not to be forgiven. When you've done something and you need forgiveness, what does it feel like not to be forgiven? It feels crummy. It feels like I'm a hostage, like Captain Richard Phillips on that lifeboat off the northeast coast of Africa. What does it feel like to be forgiven? It makes you feel like dancing. It makes you feel you know how sometimes you get a bill from a company and, and it's less than you thought? You're not quite forgiven, but it's okay. There's something about forgiveness that absolutely sets us free. Another question What does it feel like to forgive? To be the forgiver? Because that's the point Jesus is making. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to make you forgivers. I'm going to make you forgivers. You're created. I'm going to recreate you to be a forgiver. Just like me. Well, it feels like a rescuer when you're a forgiver. It's raw power when you're a forgiver. There's one thing better than being forgiven. It's to be able to forgive. You know, there are some things where we can't forgive ourselves. It's... You know, I I talk to folks, I talk to myself sometimes about stuff like this. God, I know you've forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. One day, some years ago, it was like he was saying to me, look, I'm the creator of the universe, right? Right. I'm the holiest person in existence, right? And I forgive you, right? Are you better than I am? I forgive you. Why don't you get on with forgiving yourself? If I've given you absolute, absolution, if you will, I've cleaned the slates. Don't hang on to it. Let it go. Some folks hold grudges. I know how to do that. I've done that. When my father left my mother after 29 years of marriage, it took me eight years to be able to hug my dad. He wasn't a terrible person. It wasn't a horrible person, but there was just something in me, that I couldn't let it go. And I don't know if it hurt him, but it sure shut me down. It sure stifled me in certain areas. I love that quote. Somebody reminded me of it last week. That quote that says, Holding a grudge is like taking poison, drinking poison, and waiting for the other guy to die. <laughs> After the last service, someone came up and said, "I, I heard, I heard another one like, Holding a grudge is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other people will be offended by the smoke. You know, I don't. <laughs> What not forgiving does by not being a forgiver? It clogs your spiritual arteries so that you can't function in a way that you need to function as an ambassador of Jesus on the planet. We've been empowered and instructed to forgive. And what people of all ages need is the presence of God. No one here doesn't need the presence of God. What we all need every day is forgiveness. But we also need, at each opportunity, to forgive. And in that forgiveness, it proclaims the forgiveness of God. Some years ago, Carl Menninger, the Menninger Clinic in Kansas City, a psychiatrist, wrote a book, this was decades ago, called Whatever Became of Sin, And he was writing it in the 70s when everything was relative and everything was up for grabs. And if it feels good, just do it and all that. And what he means by sin is not something that's eternal. It's a violation of another person. And the idea behind it is this. That that if I'm designed in the image of God, and you're designed in the image of God, and I hurt you in some way, there's some sense in which I'm hurting God, which I'm violating God in doing that. So here's the deal. And I just, I just toss this out. You don't have to buy this. This is, not, this is faux theology, so you can let it go on by, okay? Let me just toss this out. Perhaps it works something like this. That if, if you do something to me, and I just get mad at you, and I just hold on to it. Because holding a grudge, you know, it, it feels Delicious. It's just delicious for a moment or a day or a week. And then it eats your heart out. But if I don't forgive you. And I'm supposed to represent Jesus, the kingdom of God. There's no chance that that person can ever know that there might be a God out there somewhere who could forgive them. But if in fact, John does something to you. And you go to John and say, John, you know that thing you did at work? I know that you meant it. I know that you were trying to get ahead. I know you wanted that. And I was hurt by it. That's the truth. But I just want you to know I forgive you. John's going to say, because he's not used to the forgiveness business. He's going to say, say what? I say, well, that that thing you did that, that you and I both know you stepped on my head when you went to do this other thing. And I forgive you. It's okay. I release you. It's all right. Just want to be friends. Okay. It's quite possible that John would say, where did you learn that? Where, I mean, where did that come from? And you can say, I learned it from my dad. Would you like to meet him? When you forgive, it's the character of the kingdom of God. It's the essence of the kingdom. And it gives John a window on the kingdom so that he might Come to know there's a God out there that he can't see that could forgive him forever. But if I don't forgive John, there's not a snowball's chance in July that he'd ever get that thought or that idea. So, we have the power and presence of forgiveness. And nothing looks more like the Father than that. I had this thought when I was preparing these thoughts. Actually, I had this thought this morning. I didn't say it last night. So you get the benefit of slightly more heresy this morning than they got last night. What would it be like if at 5 p.m. today the Holy Spirit just swept across America and people who had been in bondage to forgiveness or lack of it picked up the telephones and started calling home and started calling people and saying, I just need to be forgiven. I'm sorry, I just need to be forgiven. And other people picked it up and said, I know I've held a grudge. You know I've had a grudge against you. I just set you free. I just, I just... I forgive you. I mean, AT&T would shut down. The lines could not handle, could not handle that much activity. But it'd be a good to give it a, it'd be great to give it a good shot. I think God would cheer. Here is the God. Who says this, I think. Where do we go from Easter? Well, the disciples went and locked themselves in because they were scared. Jesus comes along. And sets them free. And where we go from Easter is to go about town and about the county and about our lives. Unlocking the doors where people have shut themselves in. Having the capacity to forgive and to love people the way Jesus did. That's just how it is. That's our commission on the week after Easter. Where do we go from Easter? We go with the keys to the kingdom in our hands called forgiveness. Forgiveness and we unlock people's lives because that's what we're told to do. That's what we're empowered to do. That's what we get to do. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Your hearts. Just in the quiet of this moment, there's no one looking. I just, I'm not going to ask you to make a response to me. But um, in just a few moments, the prayer team is going to come down here to the front. And there may be numbers of us who want to come and just stand with somebody, just have a presence in our lives for a moment and have them pray with us for certain things. But whether you're here or in the South Auditorium this morning, I just ask you this question. Is there a place like an artery that is partially blocked? Because forgiveness is needed and it's not been given. Is there a place in us? A person who sits here and there's been a grudge and and he or she says, but you don't understand, Foth. It was so painful and it was so difficult. You can't possibly understand. And I think you're right. I can't possibly understand, but there is the father of all the ages who does. And he says, if you let it go, I will make up for it. I will heal the years that the that the locusts have eaten. But I give you the power to let it go today. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for what you have and continue to do in my own life. Thank you for these hundreds and hundreds of friends who receive your word and let the folk stuff just go on by pray that even in these moments that you by your spirit will are doing a work that, that is not just a work for the moment but a work of the ages for the one who sits here who has never known your forgiveness even as I speak let him or her say Jesus forgive me of my whole history let me be recreated anew and in this moment even as they pray that do it for them one more time jesus name and everyone said amen would you stand with me the prayer team is going to be here as we leave thanks a million for being here on this week after easter and know this not only are you forgiven not only are we forgiven but we have been given the spirit of jesus that is the power to forgive as we go god bless you go with the keys and unlock some doors god bless bye bye